0: whether it's through a book movie or tv show and whether it's conscious or not we're all looking for ourselves in media welcome to another episode of small town sarah where each week we're discussing our journeys in finding our representation in the medias we enjoy the most everybody and welcome to episode seven of small town Sarah today I have a very special guest for with with me today and uh, I'm very excited about him being here
1: I'm gonna let him introduce himself why don't you go ahead thanks for having me on my name is David Franco and I'm Sarah's father that's
0: right guys it's my dad he agreed to come on and uh talk with me today i hope uh i hope he takes it easy on me but i uh, will see what happens uh, i think it's going to be a fun one all right dad well let's start with um when and where you were born
1: okay i was born in downtown los angeles in 1950 uh, right in the middle of the emerging california nature you know it was just um we lived in um i think we lived in we lived in east l.a or maybe even compton at the time mm-hmm. this is when we were up till about three or four years of age something like that
0: <clears throat> and um
1: what about your parents so i'm adopted mm-hmm. so but my parents were both, uh, Mexican Americans and they grew, my mother grew up in Santa Monica, California. My father in Los Angeles, his family had been in the California area for over 250 years Wow! before it was even California. It was just part of Mexico. And then, and when they were born, the whole concept of the border was just very, very vague. It was not a, um, uh as strict as it is now yeah and so there was a lot of mobility between the uh uh, mexico and the united states my mother was actually born in 1919 in mexico Wow. and at the age of eight months she came to live with her brothers in um, phoenix and then the rest of her family was in la and that's where they she moved and grew up in Santa Monica and then moved to East LA was a very it was an enclave of you know Mexican american um communities you know it was a broad broad based mexican communities and the, the the difference was that there was just a permeability of the border it wasn't wasn't as strict as it is has become in the last 10 or 15, 20 years, I guess. And so there was, it was, it was an easy venue to come and live in. So um, there you have it. Nice. Um, So
0: growing up, what was that like? What was your neighborhood like? Were you, did you have a lot of other Mexican kids around? Was it mixed? Was it white? What was that like for you?
1: Well... As I was growing up, we lived in a very rural area. Like for instance, we grew up on a, it was an acre of land and our neighbors had an acre and on both sides Mm -hmm. behind our property was a, a, a very, very small handcrafted you'd say these days, dairy farm. And we knew the farmer very well. Uh, early in the morning, sometimes my sister and I would get up and walk over to him and he'd, uh, he'd be milking, hand milking the cows wow. and he'd sometimes shoot the milk into our <laughs> mouth. And so there was no like pasteurization, none of that stuff. It was just real stuff happening. Yeah. Three blocks down the road from us was a Creek where we'd go. And so it was very rural it was there were hills There was creeks there was that sort of thing so it was very different than growing up in LA
0: yeah
1: the concrete jungle of what it became yeah um and our neighbors were very it was a mixed neighborhood in terms of ethnicity I would say most of the people around us were Mexican okay but you also have to remember at that age in life, it wasn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. It didn't, I didn't know that I was Mexican and I didn't know that there was a difference in ethnicity. Yeah. It was just, it was not a concept that had begun to enter my mind at all
0: yeah that's a great segue actually for my next question when did you start realizing that you were mexican that different than some other people
1: well it's an interesting thing because my parents grew up in the heart of los angeles and during the 40s so they would have been in their mature adult young adult ages Mm -hmm. um there was overt Mexican racism. Yeah, there were uh, there were times when the 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 Mexican population would be rounded up and just taken to Mexico. um, Wow. Whether they were citizens or not. Wow. So there was a fear of that. So out of fear, my parents, for instance, never spoke Spanish in the house. Yeah and they themselves were totally bilingual but they never spoke it yeah so they i think were attempting very heavily to um have us uh blend yeah and so we brought we were brought up like that though in high on holidays and things like that of course we were with the family extensively and um I would say the first time i got an inkling of something and it was just that it wasn't a negative or positive it was in middle school or was in seventh eighth grade something like that and i had gotten a crush on uh you know you're just young and starting to want to discover the opposite sex and i got a crush on kathy nicotia mm-hmm. and my friends who were really close friends, you know, yeah. they said, well, I think it would be better if you liked Vange Flores better. Yeah. I didn't know what it meant. I mean, Vangie Flores was, you know, wonderful and exciting <laughs> too, but why I never, I didn't know why they said, but it kind of like bothered me. Yeah. You know? It bothered me just, what does it mean
0: yeah yeah that's fair i think that happens a lot i've heard or read at least in memoirs and stuff a lot of things like that where you know somebody likes a person of color likes you know a white person and and their friends are like well it's probably better if you like so and so because you have more in common um okay so growing up what kind of things did you do for
1: entertainment <clears throat> um well I grew up in a kind of a mixed Southern California um, neighborhood, which is now uh, was in, it's called Hacienda Heights, La Puente Mm -hmm. way, way out on the east side of the Los Angeles metro area. At the time it was uh, not developed. Now it's just extremely heavily developed. And, so in high school, you know, I was an avid sports uh, participant. I was, uh, you know, on the wrestling team. I was on the track team. I was on the tennis team. <laughs> yeah. That sort of thing. I was involved in student government. Um, dancing. They love to dance. I went to a lot of dances, um, you know. And you know, at the time, and it's, there wasn't like download this movie and stream it, yeah, or just stream it. <laughs> there was just you went to the movies, yeah. And I remember my mom taking us to see some, you know, uh, movies when we were quite young. You know, yeah. you know, um, West Side Story, My Fair Lady, and these were cinematic. Adventures, yeah, and it was just quite different. But um, yeah, no, as I was in high school and stuff like that, it was it was sports, just the normal social dances and things like that. Yeah, that's mostly what I remember. Yeah, um, I will will say something that is probably important for your overall bo- podcast. Yeah. When we were in middle school, um, my parents purchased a copy of the Encyclopedia Britannica and a copy of the Great Books of the Western World, mm-hmm. which was a 50, I think it's a 56 volume compendium of what is called the, um, you know, the, the Western um the greatest hits of Western thinking, you know, yeah. Plato, Aristotle, Shakespeare, Melville, Freud, you know, in the yeah. hard sciences and, and to the extent they could, you know, and that, uh, that set of books was around. And then we also had, um, a set of art books. My mother was a, a professional artist. And so we had a lot of art books around, too. Mm -hmm. And they were quite, um, so that we were introduced to high culture quite a bit in music, art, literature, and in uh, philosophy. Yeah. And so that was a big part of it. And that, of course, led me to be much, much more of a reader, I think, than the average person. Yeah,
0: Um, that's perfect. That's what I was going to ask about. What about reading and and stuff like that? When did you uh, find yourself in that
1: groove? Um, I remember when I discovered the um, visionary effect that reading had Mm. on the mind. Yeah. And I was literally reading, this was a set of uh, great literature, but for kids, Mm. it was a special set. I think it was a Britannica offering. It had Robert Louis Stevenson. It had several things. And the one I remember was uh, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Yeah, And I was reading a passage a, a merlin in the forest doing something mm-hmm. and i remember i could suddenly visualize that yeah and i was so moved by that ability i remember getting up out of my room and walking to my mother and letting her know that i had seen what the author wanted me to see wow it was very interesting that's beautiful yeah yeah and that like opened up uh that just opened up my my hunger for reading because i could see how that uh, um, where i could go with it
0: yeah yeah that's wonderful um i just as a sidebar here i think i had a similar experience it was much later in life i mean i always was a reader you you read to me you know fairy tales and stuff we Mm -hmm. did grimm's and aesop's fables um and i always kind of was into reading but I think the first time I felt that magic was uh in eighth grade when I read The Green Mile by Stephen King and it was I kind of realized then what books could be like and that's what turned me into the reader I am today the voracious reader you see before you um okay so your parents you know were trying to get you to blend um and as you grew up did you stick with that? I mean, I guess what I'm I'm wondering about is, were you seeking out, or did you see literature about, uh, or movies about people that looked like you, Mexican people, Mexican families? What was that journey?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I really didn't, and I think that i think i was too afraid to address that in yeah. me. you know it was um uh there was a play that i saw live and it later became i don't think it was a movie but it was be- it was a recorded play later but i saw it live the zoot suit okay and this was a story about the mexican community in the 40s i believe it was and the zoot suiters yeah these were the mexican men who'd wear these elaborate beautiful suits you know that they'd walk around in and they were kings of their areas you know and and it was the beauty of walking around dressed so elegantly yeah and this was i was in my probably in my early or mid-20s and i remember how it started to dawn on me the a conspiracy of racism that was so quiet, yeah, in my mind, and and that it was there, yeah, and it was it was kind of hiding there for you, if you weren't careful, yeah. So careful became a big watchword for me as I was as I aged, yeah. So it became how to become how to stay careful interesting yeah
0: yeah um did that change the way you started thinking later in life when when did if it did change when when did it did you feel
1: yourself changing well the whole concept of racism is a uh curious you know concept in in society yeah racism so for years I would feel the potential of being hurt by it yeah but gradually as I started understanding it then I didn't have that as much as a as a badge it wasn't as much bigger a badge but racism is a very easy thing yeah to adopt yeah and it permeates Many, many, many parts of our society. Yeah. So it's a very easy, you know, the most overt in this particular country racism, whites against blacks. Yeah. And think about it. It's a really easy way for your ego to dominate. Yeah. At least I'm not black. Yeah. I might be a total jerk and an. A-hole and all this stuff, but at least I'm not black. Yeah. So that gets sold. It's because it's a lazy way of feeding your ego. Yeah. At least I'm not Catholic. At least I'm not a Jew. Yeah. At least I'm not blank. Yeah. You know, Vietnamese or whatever the hell it at least I'm not a woman. Yeah. At least I'm not a man. Yeah. So all of those racism is just an extension of what I call lazy interaction of society. Yeah, and I challenge everybody because I guarantee you, you have racism. Yeah, whether it's a racism of ethnicity or as a racism of its class. Yeah, or race, and then the great god of this country, of course, is greed, is yeah. money if you have money you are better than others yeah that is so ingrained in this society absolutely you know and so you know you have the the guy with a super fancy car great clothes is going to attract the women Mm -hmm. well what are those women like that are attracted to that yeah right yeah they're buying into the glitz why because it's an easy measurement yeah and that's what i want to just say about racism in general and how it helped my understanding helped me overcome a lot of yeah the pain that i have is that it's laziness Mm -hmm. whether it's money or no money poor rich white black whatever that's lazy thinking yeah and all of it is the, the laziness of comparing yourself to others cuz the real difficulty is how do you stand on your own two feet yeah and that's that's where the hardest thing is that's yeah. the hardest and you might be better than the guy next to you but so what <laughs> you know yeah so that's just a super broad super simple reflection on racism and how it's matured in me in a sense yeah. the concept of it
0: yeah um do you remember the first time that you saw you know started seeing i guess besides Zoot Suit a positive or negative uh reflection of the mexican society or or somebody that you thought
1: felt familiar um a beautiful movie that depicts that is uh, mi familia mm-hmm. and that's uh e- e- edward um james Olmos is the the narrator and 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 he's in that movie yeah he was the lead in zoot suit by the way oh
0: wow okay
1: <laughs> and uh Olmos basically just revealed what it's like to grow up as a mexican in the third in the 40s I think is when it starts yeah in uh, East LA you know and the culture of that and the concept was and you know the subtlety of the incredible balance of how do you retain your culture and yet don't buy into better or worse than yeah does that make sense yeah okay so The Mexican culture is beautiful, you know, and it's lovely to be part of it. To sing like that, to dance like that, if you go to you know East Alvera Street and and hear some of these spectacular singers singing their heart out for you know the Mexican songs, it rings a bell in me of beauty. Yeah, and um, so to celebrate that is it's a good thing that's what you do yeah
0: absolutely yeah um so you've seen quite a bit you've you've been around for a while now and you've seen quite a bit and um you've seen the way some things have changed mainly in the way we speak about things um and i'm wondering you know what your thoughts have been over the years have you have you felt that it's a good thing that we're talking more about things now or,
1: or what your thoughts are and all of that. Well, I think it's a great thing. Great. That we are talking about it, that, you know, that it's second nature now to have conversations about it. Yeah. You know, the fact that there are many, many shows on TV now with Mexican families as, you know, it's the standard sitcom, but it's a Mexican family. Yeah. You know, that uh, um some of the great mexican actors are out there yeah. you know and they're playing significant roles uh the the latest uh, you know west side story that came out as a reflection of the old one which i am i'm gonna have to say unfortunately <laughs> maybe it's just in my brain but the old one just rang for me yeah you know? yeah but that's neither here nor there but so do i so i think it's the fact that it is being discussed yeah is what's critical yeah that it's like you see ads now and it's not all white families yeah with white kids it's maybe even a mixed couple or or a bi couple or something like that yeah so that's becoming and that's the only way that change occurs because these things are in our deep subconscious yeah that it's scary to look at a black man well but if you see it every time on the commercial yeah interacting with other mixed then it isn't yeah it's extremely subtle yeah and it's so deep in our psyche yeah and there there are innumerable laws that assist in that are that make racism and all of the other isms you know against religion illegal they are illegal yeah right yeah well and there's a lot of barriers to that to you know institutional racism does it still exist of course it does yeah it's not the point yeah the point is that it's changing yeah how long does change take a lifetime yeah but you know it's fundamentally different now in your generation than it was in my generation yeah and the generation after you it'll be fundamentally different as well
0: yeah yeah totally agreed on that it's
1: going in the right direction let's put it that way
0: yeah i like that i like that a lot Mm -hmm. um okay so you know i mean i've talked about a little bit about my uh slightly different upbringing you know we lived in a community and how that was a little bit different um but you know, I mean, for me, I didn't realize I was Mexican uh, for a really long time. And even when I did, because we, I grew up in such a white area, I never really, besides thinking that was bad, I never really, like, caught on to that part of my culture. And, you know, in the last few years, it's become something I'm very proud about. Um, my question is if you could go back and we could do it over again, would you want to bring me up more in a Mexican culture?
1: Well, two, two things. One, we can't go back. Of course. (laughs) And the reality is that's what happened. And so whatever the luck of that draw is, that is how it happened. Yeah, absolutely. And so because of that, then it becomes critical to this is the the recipe that was offered to us yeah because i'm part of it i mean you know yeah. you and i aren't aren't separate in that regard absolutely you know, we're absolutely suddenly part of it um would i have wanted something to be different no because quite frankly i'm i love my life yeah i love what i do yeah I I love how you turned out. Yeah. You know, your intelligence, your insightfulness is fantastic. Yeah. So what part should have changed? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um externally, and I mean it that way, I you know, it would have been better that if both of us had been more bilingual. Yeah. That I think that helps anybody, anybody Absolutely. that has any culture, if you can hang on to that or have your parents teach you Korean, you know, yeah. and long for it rather than trying to blend, that's the thing that could could help immensely. So I, I truly believe, no, I don't want it to be any different. Yeah. Because I like how it turned out.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's fair. I mean, it's not that it was a bad thing. It just was something I've been thinking about. Um, a lot of friends I have that are Mexican or Puerto Rican or Dominican, you know, they they have these stories from their their childhoods and, you know, quinceañeras and, um, sure, you know, big things like that. So it just was, it was a curiosity of mine. Um, well, something we, we have very much in common is reading. And even now you're a big reader. Um What are you reading these days?
1: Well, I have a focus in my reading. Um, I would say at the moment, I'm very, very much um, working in the area of nonfiction. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's very strong. Uh, My fiction um, offering has been fairly consistent and i keep going back and revisiting and i'm 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 right and you know it's um probably starts with moby dick and herman melville yeah and i think that that is a s- remarkable offering yeah you know that that has come out and i've done a lot of work on it and i plan on doing more mm-hmm. um probably next on the list would be jd salinger you yeah. know, who wrote a lot of short stories, you know, that are the for, you know, everybody says, you know, catcher in the rye, of course, but his short stories were were profound. Um, Chaim Potok is another one. Yeah. You know, I really love his depiction of the uh the Jewish community. And what I like about it is how the it holds the culture together. Yeah. So that's very important to me. Um, John Steinbeck, um, William Blake. Yeah. You know, some of the, some of those, um, Dante's, you know, divine comedy is the, these are great. These are writings of great depth. Now here's an interesting thing. I don't, okay we were briefly interrupted
0: but uh um you can go ahead you were saying the
1: interesting thing interesting thing about i don't read fiction to be entertained yeah that's a big big thing i want to express you know like you don't really read philip k dick to be entertained Mm -hmm. it might be entertaining but there's depth there. Yeah. These are individuals. Um, Mortimer J. Adler, who was the main editor of the great books, he wrote a book called How to Read a Book. <laughs> yeah. And one of the curious things he says in it, he says, S- read the book as if you're in the, the chair of the writer. Interesting. The writer is trying to depict something to you. And in some of these books, they're trying to possess, they're using the the fiction tool to present profound philosophic concepts mm. and which is easier to depict than philosophically because it's too dry. <laughs> yeah. So you put somebody in a complex, interesting situation, you know, like Salinger's short stories, you know, they so you read them. But then you come back to them and there's more there. Yeah. There's more there. And that's that's a book it keeps giving. And that's why fiction is so wonderful. Yeah. So that's what I look for in a book of fiction. And that's how I approach a book of fiction.
0: Yeah. Um, I like that. I like that idea a lot. I, I do read quite a bit to be, um, I guess, not entertained. I, I read it as an escape more so than entertainment although you're right it is entertaining Mm -hmm. uh to do that so i I like that that concept um all right well i i don't think i have any more other questions at the moment um do you have anything else you'd like to say to my to my listeners about anything
1: remember that you're being in you're included for any reason for many many reasons But one of the reasons is because you're a reader. Yeah. When you read, you have a unique and intimate relationship with the author. At that moment, there's nothing different that's that's unique to you and the author at that moment. No one else on the planet is having that unique experience. So remember that when you go to read a book. That you are entering into a relationship with the author, living or dead. Yeah. Yeah. And that relationship is what is the spark that's so fundamentally wonderful about reading.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you for that. That's great.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, Dad, I really appreciate you coming on and talking to me about all this stuff.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And thanks for the effort to do this.
0: Yeah, it's been fun. Good. All right, friends. Well, thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope that if you've made it this far, you guys continue to follow, subscribe, share, talk about, do all the things you got to do for the podcast. I'm having a lot of fun doing this and I hope to continue doing so. And remember, as I always say, just keep reading.